Difference makers all face the same question. How can we initiate, drive and sustain change in any of its forms, whether it be social change, behaviour change, policy change or, at its most challenging, system change? Massive Small Stories presents lessons from all over the world, amplifying how amazing people have done amazing things throughout their careers. It celebrates those who have overcome all odds by pursuing their purpose in life and have influenced change for all of us. These are our massive small agents of change. Welcome to Massive Small Stories. Um, I'm sorry that Liam is not with us today. Unfortunately, he's feeling ill. Um, but uh, I'm sure we'll get him back again to, to meet with you, um, Darshana. Um, so Darshana is our guest. Um, we have history, Isaac. Isaac is our producer, is with me today, making sure that um, I keep things in line. Um, but uh, Darshana and I have worked together, and we've been involved in a competition together. So we're going to try and focus on those. But Darshana is one of those inspiring people who um, I've met in my life. And I've always thought, how does someone so small have so much energy? And uh, I've, I've told so many people about you, Darshana, that uh, I remember our time in Jaipur when we went to the competition. Um, and I saw you there in front of three and a half thousand students. And I'm thinking, how is she so brave? How does she, how does she get to that sort of position? So um, welcome, Darshana. Um, one of the things we're going to try and do is, is, um, is try and just focus on, on you and your background. Um, and I know you're an entrepreneur and a mother, so we're going to call you the entrepreneurial mum. How's that as your, as your tagline? And uh, if you want to change it, come back and, and let's let's see what we can do about it. But for now, you're the entrepreneurial mum, and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay. So um, relevance to massive small change is um, is really a question of uh, the work that you've been doing, and clearly you've been involved with the whole question of massive small for some time. So why don't you start with um, your story, Darshana? Tell us how you got to where you are, and uh, what's your background, and and uh, what inspired you in those early days. Thank you, Kelvin. That introduction was uh, really lovely. I love the tag entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mom, uh, particularly. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful, but there you go. They, you know, it 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 needs uh, uh, both the mom and the entrepreneur to come together. So uh, twice the amount of job. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I've absolutely enjoyed working with you, Kelvin, especially in the early days. Um, when I introduce myself to people, I say I was the last recruit. Um, um, during during the pandemic uh, and and I've seen with yourself uh, how things had panned out at the time in terms of uh, difficult funding um, times as well as uh, development and how that must have really challenged people uh, so coming out as a graduate during the pandemic um, and having to look for jobs at that time I would say that has built immense amount of resilience as well as perspective on how things can be done on ground with less funding, but also bottom-up approach and look thinking really out of the box. Uh, so I would say those are the beginnings of my career, but also the setting and the situation that I was in um, and the wider dynamics of the economics uh, really shaped me into what I am today. Doshana, how did you start? What did you start at university? What did you start doing? And I know you went on to do urban design, but how did it all start for you? Yes, yeah, so I trained as an architect, so I'm a fully qualified architect, so five years of a degree uh, in India. 
And uh, once I had done that, I, I was really interested in urban design and the cross-section of the built environment with economics, politics. It was just, just too fascinating to be looking at it from, from a holistic perspective. Um, and I thought urban design was a way to actually bring all of those perspectives together and actually put your designer's hat on and then pan that out in, in, in real, real life uh, situations and designs. Um, and hence I pursued a master's in urban design um, at University of Westminster in London. At the time, I remember I was awarded a full scholarship to come to the UK, um, and that was on the back of some of my dissertation work. Um, and that's how I really started off uh, in this field of design, but also looking at it from a much wider perspective um, of, as I said, socioeconomics. Where did you think, or what time in your life did you think you found your purpose? Because I know you're quite strongly driven in, in what you do. When did I find my purpose? Um, I think I've always known that the energies of young people and youth, when we have all of that at the beginning of our career, I just thought that I was quite privileged as compared to a lot of things that I would actually see around me in India. Um, and I'd, I'd always felt that if I have these opportunities of education and then going abroad and studying and getting all the scholarship, surely there is a way to give back. Um, and I just thought that it just, it was second nature to me. I, I just felt I am in a really privileged position to leverage this knowledge and this energy and actually give back because I am given this opportunity to do so. And so it started for you with your urban design course. I was at the University of Westminster, I think, and I was a visiting prof at the time. And, uh, I got to hear about you and I think you approached us for a job, I think, and we sort of grabbed you with, with open arms. And um, I didn't work with you much until towards the end when we worked on a quite a fascinating project in Ealing um, called The Big Conversation. Do you want to take yes. us through that, take us through your thinking and how you think it, it went because you were leading on that one? Absolutely. I think I remember working with yourself and Dan um, on the South Hall Big Conversation project. It was fascinating because it was not just about design, it was about coming up with strategies to bring people together, to bring consensus, to actually address some really difficult issues, especially in South Hall, both from a built environment perspective, but also some social economic issues that were pre prevalent in that area and still are. Um, I think with the South Hall Big Conversation project, what was really interesting is Apart from just interacting with, uh, say, planners, for instance, I had the opportunity to bring together a wide range of stakeholders. Um, I still remember speaking to the business community as well as the police, as well as you've got your utilities and other companies. Uh, it was such an eclectic mix of all these stakeholders coming around the table and talking about the same issues, but the linkages between that. Uh, I just found all of that really fascinating. But what was really interesting is also taking those ideas and issues out to people and putting them literally on the street. So I still remember someone was playing the drums just to gather enough um, interest in the consultation, et cetera, outside the venues and bringing people in and really understanding the issues. Um, 
And I think those were the early days of doing sentiment analysis, really understanding what people think and how you translate that into a vision and strategy. Um, and that is, I think, what really uh, was special about that project because it wasn't just done as a one-off exercise. It was done over a period of eight months of thorough engagement and then really building that vision in a very collaborative way with a range of stakeholders as well as the people. Yeah, I mean, for the listeners out there, the big conversation, as it was called, was uh, really a way of engaging with people completely on all issues. So um, it was sort of no holds barred conversation. And I remember the strap line we had was, we will if you will. Do you remember that use of that strap line? So the idea that it was a, a yes. charter we were looking to write between the local authority and and the public and the community. So it was based on trying to deal with some fairly difficult issues at the time that Southall had a grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a BBC program at the time where they said there were 10,000 illegal beds and sheds in backyards, mm-hmm. uh, which is a massive sort of number. And um, you started realising that these sorts of issues were brewing in in, uh, in, in West London. And uh, they were probably brewing in other parts of London, but they were coming really to the forefront in, in, in Southall. And it was a fantastic um, example of um, what we talk about in Massa Small, which is uh, people getting on with things despite government rather than because of government. So it was, uh, it was an interesting challenge we had. And I, I know there were some other challenges we had as well around um, uh, trying to sort out the quality of the streets and the quality of some of the services that were provided by the local authority. But the idea was to engage with people in the sort of complete way of saying, almost creating a new sort of social contract between uh, the people and, 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 uh, and, and the local authority. Is that what you can remember from it? Is that your your recollection? Is it your? I do, I do, absolutely. I still remember speaking to some business uh, leaders and and day to day businesses who were very much interested in improving the public realm. And I remember coming up with with yourself, Kelvin, about strategies of how that can be as a co investment piece as well, in terms of making sure that people can maintain their areas, but also be able to develop them from a co investment uh, perspective. Um, so that was, I feel, quite, quite a different approach. But the social contract element uh, is quite powerful, because obviously, the onus is both on both sides, but also to develop that sense of ownership, uh, within the area between the people and the local authority and taking that risk core responsibility of uh, development maintenance operations uh, and that is how i saw the social contract was really structured yeah i think you went on to do some work in india for us as part of the whole smart city initiative as well i think you went off to pune with uh, was it with marcus and uh, uh, there were some some things that happened there what how did you feel that went at the time because that was your first sort of dip i think into tech i'd imagine or digital tech i imagine Yes, you've absolutely hit the nail exactly where it needs to be in terms of my starting point of my tech journey. Um, I was really grateful to have that opportunity where I could actually look at some of the tech-led engagement solutions that Urban Initiatives had at the time and be able to take that in a very different setting, such as India, where the data readiness was not as high, but obviously uh, on an upward uh, trend. Um, And it is during those visits, Kelvin is uh, those actually planted the seeds for the digital journey and the you know digital transformation journey I am now at the moment on. Um, so I clearly remember going to India uh, at a conference in New Delhi, which was all about smart cities, which was led actually by IBM and quite big companies, and I had the opportunity to. Um, 
sort of present uh, some of the tech-enabled uh, solutions that urban initiatives had at the time to the panel. What was really striking for me is that in that conference, even though the conference was about smart cities, I was the only urban planner in the whole conference. And the majority of the audience and the panel members were um, tech um, enthusiasts as well as uh, people within bigger tech companies. And I just thought this seems to be a pivotal moment that the, the planning of cities and smart cities, if that's going to happen through tech companies, where am I going to sit as a professional in the future in this um, kind of transition? And that really triggered my mind to think actually domain experts and planners and designers should be the people who actually drive these solutions and technologies. And that is why I changed my path into actually upskilling myself in this sector. We're going to come and talk a lot more about your, your journey subsequent uh, uh, in, in recent years. But I can remember you approached me on a project that you were talking about in in India, which was to do with a public spaces competition, um, just take us through. How did that? How did that originate? I think it was a natural progression of, as you said, Kelvin. Why? Where do you find your purpose? The purpose was, and in in a very simple way, I'll put it out there, uh, because I had got this opportunity to come abroad and study and have this fantastic. Um, exposure to various experiences as well as um, people, I wanted to replicate that for a lot more people as well. And one of the ways I wanted to do that was um, inspire a lot of people to be able to make change within their areas, but also to then reward some of the winners to come to London and experience um, the same thing that I had. Um, and I, I, and that was the beginning of the journey of 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 what the competition was about. So, um, essentially, I started off a. I, I wrote up a business plan um, for a London-based university to say if we launch this competition in India and provide an exposure to Indian students, there could be great level of knowledge transfer. And I managed to get some funding from the dean uh, at the University of Westminster at the time for the course. Um, who wanted to go ahead and, and pursue this idea. Um, the idea was obviously to inspire a lot of people to make change on ground. Um, and that is something I can then expand on. I've, um, you feature at the front end of my book. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, and the question I ask is, how do you transform 100 disused public spaces across 40 plus cities in 150 days? It's just massive, that. <laughs> the answer is simple. Ask Darshana. <laughs> yes, I remember that <laughs> really but, clearly. Um, I, I just mean blown away by the the caliber of the work that was done and the caliber of the the solutions that the students came forward with. But let's just take it. What happened next? What happened next in that journey? Yes. Yeah, so, what I did was I set up a design competition that could be run at scale with multiple universities, and I set up collaborations um, in India with a network of nearly 100 different universities, particularly um, who were involved in architecture. So I knew that there was enough connection with a lot of youth and the energies that they bring and the transformation they can bring at scale. Uh, so that was set as, a, as, as, a, as an element in terms of collaboration. Um, 
And instead of just giving students a design brief and asking them to design something and people producing something in their studios at which never gets built, I just thought if people are spending so much time doing these things, why not push the competition ahead and get them to actually build it on ground? And whoever I spoke to about this idea must have felt that I am a little bit crazy. And when I floated it initially, um, uh, honestly, I mean, uh, th there is no way someone can believe that you can inspire, you know, 500, 1,000 students to go and build something on ground. Um, so I parked it for a couple of years, to be honest. I parked it. Uh, and then something changed when I had when I had the opportunity to bring it back. And I can perhaps elaborate on that as well. Yeah, please. Um, so what happened is in, I, I can't remember the exact time, but um, there was a particular national program set out by um, the government at the time, led by Narendra Modi, uh, to which is called the Clean India Campaign, essentially. And I, I remember very vividly how the program was launched. If, if a national program has to be launched, I would say that was that's an excellent case study of how you actually drive public consciousness through these programs. I looked at it and I looked at the momentum behind that program. And for the first time, I would see a prime minister asking people to or nominating people to go and clean their streets. And it started to have a knock on effect. Um, and I could see this was the trend at the time. So I revisited my idea that I'd parked for the last two years. <laughs> brought it back, I said, this is the time to launch it because it, what was normalized was to clean streets and improve them by anyone. It doesn't have to be the government. It could be anyone doing it. Um, and that is when I thought the timing is right to bring this competition back. What happened next? <laughs> what happened next? Right. So what we did is we set up a brief which had very simple 10 rules for the students. And the rules were, and I can't remember all of 10 of them, but the, the, the context of that was uh, find a local open space site, um, look at what the context of that area is, engage with the people and understand their needs. Um, go and actually find, go and actually design something for that open space that you'd like to design, to have implemented. Uh, and then literally go and uh, seek some kind of partnerships and collaborations that would unlock any kind of funding or support to build your ideas on ground. Um, then there was emphasis on using recycled materials or things that could be easy to source and not as expensive on the site. Uh, and then finally go and actually build it. So we gave them a whole period of about six months to do that uh, with three months uh, to actually assess and shortlist certain um, ideas in between the competition. Now, we knew it was going to be a big ask, but what I thought was important was uh, we really underestimate sometimes what people are capable of when they are behind a movement. Yeah. Uh, we sometimes underestimate the amount of trust we can actually put into people to get things done on ground. And just by putting these 10 simple rules to nearly a thousand students from 30 or 40 cities, completely changed the momentum. What we, my role was to make sure that all of these efforts were seen and, ex and there was enough knowledge transfer and that people felt that they were part of a movement. They were part of a bigger vision to get to a particular big milestone. And, and I think that was pivotal. So it was, yes, the competition bit and yes, all the localized changes, but how do you convey this big vision of transforming something in a short period of time. Um, and that is what actually got the competition started. 
150 days that was given to the students it was the correct so we gave them 150 days to actually do that and and you'd be absolutely surprised the kind of things students came out with so in the first 150 days we asked them to submit um a a part of the design and uh, and show a progress on some of the selected open spaces that they were working on um and just assessing based on the momentum they had created, we shortlisted at least uh, 30 of them to take ahead and fully transform going forward. Um, some of them already had developed ideas, but some of the students had gone ahead and found partnerships within local authorities, partnerships with private entities such as hotels, et cetera, to improve certain public spaces in their vicinity. Um, and it was incredible how far they went within those 150 days beyond the design element. Um, and they submitted all their videos through to show the progress that they had made during this time. Um, what those videos did for us, and this is nearly 2015 that I'm talking about, we put all of them on social media which enable the students to really see what each other, what they were doing, but also vote on the ideas that they should, that could go forward. Uh, so that happened within the first 150 days. The thing I find amazing about the project is it completely contradicts how you taught architecture. I mean, we were taught to not see a client until you were seven or eight years into your career. Um, I don't know if you had that sort of similar experience. And we never had that opportunity to go and work with clients and understand how people worked. You know, we sort of sat in our ivory towers and imagined that our design was going to change the world. But those students <laughs> went out and they just did some absolutely incredible things. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And I think they really understood the people side of things as well. Um, designing is one thing, but it's the whole management side, making sure the funding can be secured. All of these are equally important skills for students to actually learn, to actually survive in their professional practice. Um, and we really tested them actually on, on those particular skills that could be applied in the real life world. Um, I can't give you a couple of examples. So one of them I remember was a, a, a subway that was transformed um, and which also had the support of uh, one of the lead members within the local authorities. Um, and, and I remember that them coming on screen and actually talking about those spaces changed the momentum of some of these projects as well. So some of the students even managed to get some media on board to cover all of their work being done at the time. Um, and, and they were smart enough to leverage all of that as well. I can remember one of the winners, um, a young guy who went out and wanted to go and clean a lake. Do you remember the guy? I think he, he, he was one of, the, one of the winners, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he? Um, he just said uh, he saw this old friend of his, he called He called this lake, yes. grew up around this lake, but he saw it as being so polluted. And he just literally went out there and started cleaning it and found enormous amount of resistance from the local authority. And he kind of overcame it eventually, uh, you know, once once the media got on board and saw what he was doing. But it was absolutely inspiring what they did. So they did things against all odds as well. That was the, that was the interesting story there. Yes, they did have quite, uh, not everyone had an easy ride, no. but I think if your intentions are clear and you keep at it and the persistence that the students have shown um, with, with the lake example or the other example in Chennai where students had transformed a public space and there were massive floods in Chennai between those 150 days when they had actually built the thing and beyond in the shortlisting process. Um, and once, they, once the, the, their design got destroyed by floods, the community looked at what had happened and came back to rebuild it 
And that is what we rewarded them on, that they had built res right. resilience within the community to actually come back and maintain and rebuild things that had been uh, sort of uh, affected by the floods. So how long did the competition run for? How many years did it run for? And, and um, what's happening now? Is, any, is it still persisting or is it? So the competition we managed to run for two years. Um, and after that, there was another year where it was taken on by uh, the National Association of Students of Architecture in India. They are our collaborating body. So they actually took that competition brief and the rules and they included it as their national competition across um, all of the architecture colleges and universities in India. And because of that momentum till date, as I, I know that nearly 400 public spaces have now been transformed. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I, I put at the end, the fact that the competition managed to instill a passion for public urban space in the students and the local communities is a big win in itself. And it gets better. The latest round of the competition run by the students has produced truly remarkable results and it transformed spaces in 50 plus cities. Sorry, it's transformed 379 transformed spaces in 50 plus cities and towns in 150 days. It's quite a yes. remarkable sort of outcome if you think about it. And it I is remarkable. Yes. I was going to, to Jaipur to award some of the students. And this entire conference was run by the students. There were three and a half thousand students at, at this conference, all run by them, all you know, effectively driving the whole show. So I think, that, you know, for me, this is an incredibly valuable case study in Massive Small at, at Work. How do you scale up small change to make this massive difference? But anyway, tell us what, what happened next. What was your next move in your career? Um, I know you were talking about um, the, the tech dimension and you were interested in that. Um, what happened next? Yes. So after working within consultancies and also lecturing at universities, I then moved on to actually working within government in the UK, within local authorities as a uh, senior design officer. Um, that was for me to really understand how governments work internally in terms of their structures, but also <clears throat> how from a government point of view, you can influence development. Um, so that sort of gave me a really good understanding of sitting within government uh, in as a, from, from within a local authority perspective. What I really saw while working in government was uh, the amount of data that gets produced actually uh, within governments and what the possibilities could be um, if this data was to be leveraged and then converted into something that's very helpful in terms of insight and decision making. Um, I really thought there was a massive gap in how we approach design and planning of cities from a domain perspective against what can be done by leveraging the tech side to actually make that happen in a much more data-driven way. Um, and that is what really I put myself into learning those elements. And I did a second master's at UCL, um, a, a PG diploma, which was in smart uh, urban data analytics and smart cities. And I remember trying to learn coding for in four different languages in nine months, and it was very hard. <laughs> so it was almost exercising my creative brain to become extremely analytical. But luckily, I have a very strong mathematics and science background. So I was able to sort of take all of that in, understand what tech can do if we had to really digitize and leverage what we do in our sector, um, and then come up with 
uh, with a solution. So I went into doing another master's thinking I'll come out of it with a product idea. And that is exactly why I went and upskilled. And you took it and formed Coplug is your, your business. And um, what's happened since then? Correct. So at the time when I came out of my master's, I developed a um, MVP or prototype, as people say. Um, and it was all around planning of infrastructure and services in cities in a much more data-driven way. Um, that particular prototype actually was selected by Connected Places Catapult as the top eight Plantech product ideas in the UK. Uh, that gave me enough of a validation to say that this is an idea worth pursuing. Um, and since then, I have I now uh, lead the development of a product called SIDEM Systems. SIDEM stands for Services and Infrastructure Demand Management. We have been in this development journey since uh, 2019. Uh, 2018 was the prototype stage. Um, and we've won a couple of uh, Innovate UK grants. And currently, we are focused in on our healthcare vertical. And we are supporting a number of NHS organizations, healthcare consultancies, um, as well as local authorities in better planning, healthcare services, uh, and population health management. And where's the future for Coplug? Where do you see it? Yes, we started. We started expanding quite rapidly. So only this month in October, we have now included data and analytics for over thirty infrastructure and services types, uh, right from education, healthcare, uh, utilities, uh, community facilities, uh, leisure and open spaces as well. Um, and we are in at the starting point of really looking at how the intersection of all of these services actually is so um, relevant to the planning of services on in the round. Uh, so all my initial exposure and discussions and the, and the trigger point when I attended the Smart Cities Conference of IBM several years ago, are all revisiting in terms of how do I apply all of that knowledge, transform that into a very solid tech product, uh, and, and, and bring it out to market to domain experts to really take a data-driven approach to planning of our cities. And what's your big challenges? What are the big challenges you've had to face? I know you've had, uh, you've got a, a big staff you have to look after now, and um, I think his office is in Bangalore and in, in London. So it's, uh, it's, it's a big challenge, isn't it? Yes, I mean, starting your own company, leaving a nice, uh, lovely job behind and pursuing a, a particular idea that uh, may or may not pay off is, is a big leap of faith. Um, but if you genuinely feel in your gut that this is the right thing to do for your profession, for where the trends are going, and if you really want to influence uh, how tech should evolve from your perspective in terms of a domain expert or industry expert in, in that area, um, I think it's worth worth doing it. Um, and what I'm seeing on the other end is some extraordinary impact. Um, so in the last 18 months, we have provided analytics for over 50 healthcare projects up and down the country, right from Scotland, England, as well as Wales. Um, we have supported forecasting and uh, elements for 400 GP practices, as well as 15 hospital trusts. So I feel that the impact we are having, even as a small company, but the scale and the outreach that we are managing to get is, is possible because of the tech journey that we've been through. And then tell me, how's it come full circle back to Ealing and what we did in Ealing? What was what was the the lessons that you would have, I suppose, if you had have known what you know now, how would you have handled the Ealing project? 
The Ealing project, I would say, was, was the starting point of understanding that tech is one thing, but it's really about people on ground. I think if that is the centerpiece of any thinking, uh, you can then apply it and, and transform it in different ways. So for me, Ealing was about getting the right people together and, and being able to come up with the right kind of direction as a collective in a collaborative way, uh, but also in a way that respects their, their individual silos, but also makes sure that they can work together collectively for a particular place. Um, and I remember drawing those bubbles, Kelvin, out of the survey questions that we had uh, about, I still remember about 1,200 survey questions that I went through and read each one of them to put, classify them in different bits. Remember that. Uh, and that, I would say, again, is the beginning of your sentiment analysis of what people think and then translating that message. All of that can be digitized. And this, this whole element of collaborative working now can be can happen actually through digital platforms as well. And that is the journey I am on at the moment. How do we enable collaboration from a, from a digital perspective? Yeah, the whole question of, I, I suppose, the, the big tech, IBM kind of approach has been supplanted by the much more citizen-centered type smart citizen approach, hasn't it? It's, that's been the that's been the great great shift. Have you sensed that yes. as well? That's that's been the that's been the point at which um, uh, you know tech becomes very valid and very relevant to, uh, to to urban planning. It becomes extremely relevant. It's also about being able to um, take various ideas and and, and data at scale. Uh, and get that into the in, into the digital space. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, one of the competitions we ran after the uh, massive small competition was to crowdsource data of open spaces from 30 cities. So we got uh, various students to actually uh, develop uh, GIS, um, digitally enabled data for open spaces in their cities so that we could bring this together, analyze it and bring it uh, and, and really highlight the issues of open space, spaces within cities. Um, so it's about that. How can citizens then interact and, and create these? Th their opinions can be translated into data to then bring that, these insights at scale and at volume. And that's the DesTech, um, the work that you've been doing called DesTech. Is that is that the work you're talking about now, the digital stuff? That's right. So in after the University of Westminster design competition, um, we launched Destec and which was funded through my company. We wanted to keep this whole element of engaging with uh, upcoming architects and urban planners and continue that dialogue and also have the opportunity to upskill wherever possible. So I could see as a domain expert, I had to upskill in the tech side. I wanted to expose more students to that kind of upskilling. So we launched another competition to uh, about 400 to 500 uh, students who, uh, another 30 universities of which four to 500 students registered and became part of the competition. Uh, we trained them in GIS skills as part of the program. Um, and, and we went through all these upskilling sessions. And as a byproduct, they delivered um, GIS um, elements of uh, open spaces across 30 different cities, which we stitched together and developed a full understanding of where, um, where we should actually influence uh, open space policies, as well as where design interventions could come uh, forward. Um, so again, this is all about upskilling, but also making sure 
um, how we get that collective energy and make more of, you know, um, essentially greater than some of parts of whatever the effort goes in. Darshana, can you tell us if there's any interesting things coming up that you're working on at the moment? Yes, Kelvin, every day in a startup is a challenge, but one of the more interesting things that I'm working on at the moment is digitizing the infrastructure delivery plan process within local authorities in the UK. Uh, we're currently working with Haringey Council and interacting and getting together stakeholder engagement across 30 different infrastructure types, right from UK power network um, to your sports and leisure facilities, to education colleagues, health colleagues. And it's been incredible how much of a intersection there is between the planning of all of these infrastructure types and how much appetite is in there within providers to really look at um, managing growth forward um, in, in a sensible way, in a data-driven way. So we are currently influencing that process and the, we are going to be launching a digital IDP module within our product, uh, which we hope to sort of um, to scale within the market. And where do you think this will go to next? What's your, what's your plans? If you can share them. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have global ambitions. I remember doing a couple of pilot projects in, in Africa, as well as in uh, India, smart cities. Um, the data readiness and maturity in different countries can be different, but the fundamentals are still the same. It is still about the people. It is still about making sure that there is enough infrastructure and services in the right place at the right time and the impact it can have on, on, on people's day-to-day -day lives. Um, and that fundamentally still stands true. So my ambition is to take the product globally which, uh, which we have looked at in terms of piloting and, and really making that impact on ground for people uh, and, and from a data-driven data, data -driven way. Look, I have every confidence that you'll do it. Um, I've known you long enough to know that you're going to overcome. Um, but I suppose just in winding up, what would you have done differently uh, looking back on your career? Uh, what, what choices did you make that you might have made differently? I'm not quite sure if I would change a lot. Um, I've been fortunate to have various opportunities, but at the same time, I know I have worked hard enough to pursue them, but also look at the trends within our sector and constantly adapt and change and put myself out of my comfort zone um, and test myself out. Uh, so even though this whole business journey may not be for everyone, uh, and it is quite difficult day in and day out. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It is a process and I'm really enjoying the process. Um, I'm not looking to get to a final goal uh, in terms of a big IPO as, as the North Star. But what I'm really enjoying is how this whole transition has happened over a period of time um, and what, ha what how I have evolved through this process. And I and I continue and I and I hope I continue to meet interesting people and, and see the impact of the work that we do through our product uh, at scale and at volume. Uh, so that fundamentally won't change for me. Darshana, you've been an inspiring person. Ever since I met you, you inspired me. So um, I have every confidence that you'll go on and you'll, you'll, you'll take your career to far, far greater lengths. And uh, thank you very, very much for chatting to us. Thank you, Kelvin.